0: Here on our website, you see a report that says Gaza. The guy that wrote it was in Gaza.
1: Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome, welcome, my friends, once again to the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty. This is episode number 178. You can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 178. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an incredible free market, affordable, legal alternative to your standard Obamacare corporatized insurance. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is the editor and founder of The Fifth Column, a website devoted to providing news and commentary from across or rather outside of the accepted political spectrum. He is Justin King. Justin, are
0: you ready to roar? Of course. How's it going?
1: All right, man. That's what I like to hear. Because if you weren't, it just wouldn't be a very fun time, I'm guessing. (laughs) Uh, Justin, and we'll discuss what you're doing with The Fifth Column in a moment. But first, I want to get my listeners to know you a little bit better. So tell us a bit about yourself. I know you come from a a background as a military contractor. So how did you get from there to where you are now, running this really amazing, if I do say so myself, uh, news and commentary site?
0: Well, I was a military contractor for about eight years. I did mostly non-governmental work. And at uh, one point, we angered the federal government, and I got my door kicked in. And I kind of realized at that point that I might have better uses for my skills. And that brought me to journalism because I could shoot a gun and I could shoot a camera. So I started with Digital Journal, which is a small Canadian outlet. I moved to the anti-media and then the fifth column.
1: Wow. Let's just take a step back for a second. So can you tell us a little bit more about, I mean, I don't know how much you can detail, maybe legally, but what went on there with that whole incident there with getting your door kicked in? Was that because of something the company you were working for had done? Or you know, was that something that you were under investigation for? Can you detail that a little bit more?
0: Well, basically, I worked for a company that did refugee recovery. We got refugees out of bad countries, whether it be Eastern Europe, Central Asia, wherever. We started working in Uzbekistan, and this much is my personal theory. Uzbekistan was a U.S. ally at the time. They were also really, really, really evil to Jewish people. We were getting them out, and uh, we were visited by State Department, and they told us to stop. and I don't know if you've ever met any military contractors, but when you say something like that to them, especially when they've already been paid, you're likely to get, you know— middle finger, which is what happened. And uh, they showed us. Uh, (laughs) A few weeks later, we all had our doors kicked in and all got arrested.
1: Wow. So when you are a military contractor in a situation like that, who's hiring you? I mean, because from my perspective, I think military contractor, I think that you're being hired by the U.S. government, but obviously they were adversarial to what you were doing. So uh, so what's that whole arrangement there?
0: Well, there there are three kinds of contracting. You've got white contracting, which is what everybody thinks of. Blackwater, you know, companies like that that work for the U.S. government and as an arm of the U.S. government. You have black contracting, which is like murder for hire, you know, smuggling drugs, stuff like that. And then you have gray contracting, which is where you're working for a church, a synagogue, a private company, anybody that, you know, raised the money. And that's where I fell in line most of the time, was right there in the middle.
1: That's so fascinating to me because I honestly didn't even know What you're describing existed. (laughs) Because now I'm picturing, like, you know, a church of nuns going out and then having a clandestine meeting with uh, some, you know, guy in dark sunglasses and a, you know, a a flak jacket and handing (laughs) him a a briefcase full of cash to go save some refugees. So that's a, it's really intriguing. And maybe I don't know how far off that is from the reality, probably somewhat, but that's Uh, really interesting. So is that the kind of work you primarily did, sort of um, that gray area, I guess you might call it?
0: Yes. Yeah. I did that. I did some bodyguard work, surveillance, that kind of stuff. But the vast majority of it was the gray contracting working for companies that lasted a year and then got shut down, you know, back and forth. And, yeah, sometimes it is. I mean, if I understand, you know, I didn't deal with the money, but if I understand correctly, I do believe a synagogue hired us to uh, get the people out of Uzbekistan.
1: That's really fascinating. So, did your arrest in that situation—is that what kind of led you out of that career? Was it impossible for you guys, or out of the company, or yourself to function once you were under the ire, I guess, of the federal government?
0: Oh no, no, no. That's actually expected. Um, most people <laughs> it's part of the job. <laughs> yeah, most people actually maintain two Rolodexes: those people in prison and those people out. Wow. Now, I had a job offer two weeks after I got out. I had a job offer to go to Seattle. And doing something, I don't really remember. I turned it down because I was pretty much done with it at that point.
1: Wow, so did you actually serve time for this then? Oh yeah, three years. Wow, oh my God. So that's gotta change you quite a bit, spending three years behind bars, or at least gives you time to think, if nothing else, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, it definitely made me, uh, I think if anything, it made me even more patient. There's not a lot to do. Luckily, I spent my first little bit in like actual, you know, prisons. But the last couple of years, I spent at uh, Montgomery Federal Prison Camp, which, if you have to go to prison, I highly recommend it. Um, tennis courts. I had a dog. There's no fence. <laughs> it's when people say Club Fed, that's the place that they mean. It was a joke, and most of the people there were the ultra wealthy. Gave me a good view of the uh, disparity in the justice system.
1: Oh, yeah, I had a guest on um earlier well, I guess last year now at this point, Michael Santos, he actually spent twenty seven years in federal prison and you know, that was always what he mentioned, how that was the goal, to get to Club Fed, to get to the camp, because that's where you're not free, obviously, but you're as close to free as you can get while still serving out a prison sentence. Yeah, I mean, for the most part it's the the Wall Street guys, you know, the guys that have money, the guys that are committing white-collar crimes that get there, but in the meantime, you have all these other extremely non-violent people, people that were arrested for drug possession or selling drugs and that kind of thing. It's very difficult for those guys to get in there, even without a violent pass until the the very, very, very end of their sentence, and some of those sentences are extremely long, multiple decades, if not for life for some of these guys. So, uh, yeah, Really a, it's really a fascinating thing to think about that um, even within the prison system, there's places you'd rather be.
0: Right. There's definitely, I mean, one of the things that blew my mind was from the, from the federal government standpoint, I was involved in one of the largest international alien smuggling conspiracies they'd ever busted. And I got pretty much the max sentence I could get, which was like 41 months. Meanwhile, some 19-year-old kid that drove uh, two pounds of pot across state lines and had a shotgun in his car is doing five years. It's messed up. It really is. <laughs> wow, yeah.
1: So what inspired you to do this then? Instead of going back into contracting, you started this cool ass website, uh, <laughs> which really I have come to know of, uh, through Dan Johnson of the Solutions Institute, as well as uh, Brian Engelman. We're all kind of connected here in some ways. And uh, it, it really is a, a very professional looking website, I would say. And I think the type of reporting and the type of columns there are also sort of on that level. So how are you able to put such a, a well-oiled machine together?
0: I have to give a lot of credit to Nick Burnaby over at Antimedia. I worked, when I first made the switch from mainstream to alternative journalism. He kind of took me under his wing and I watched the way he ran the anti-media. The fifth column runs the same way. We just have different content. We focus more on the international side of things and a little bit more in depth. Our article links are probably two or three times what his are. So it's a different demographic. Our readers have a little bit longer of an attention span, I guess. And basically we did a lot of recruiting to get people, we're one of the few alternative outlets that can say when we write a report, when you, you know, when you're on our website and you see a report that says Gaza, the guy that wrote it was in Gaza. Wow. There's not a lot of not a lot in the alternative media that can say that. Uh, I think that's one of our biggest selling points. And we don't have an ideological bent. You know, you have everybody from anarchist to straight statist to <laughs> libertarians, Democrats, Republicans, feminists, just about everybody on the site, and we don't try to force a narrative. So I promise you'll see something on there you don't like at some point. (laughs) Some op-ed will make you angry. But at the same time, this is kind of an experiment in free speech because everybody can get their message out.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's so refreshing about it is, and and, hey, we're guilty of this at Lions of Liberty. We are an organization focused on individual liberty. And that's kind of what we filter everything that we discuss through. And so yeah, we certainly have an ideological bent and, and we don't shy away from it. But I mean, what you seem to get... You know, it's one thing to have an ideological organization and then it's another to have a news organization but pretend that you're unbiased. Like, you know, a lot of our mainstream outlets, they'll pretend to be, you know, unbiased sources. Meanwhile, if you're paying any attention at all, you can tell there is extreme bias in the way they're reporting all of their news. And it does come from an ideological bent without actually saying that you are. And I think the fifth column takes a, a totally different perspective on that where there's kind of a news section, which is really ideology free for the most part. And then you have a wide array of columns that, as far as I can tell, there is zero. I mean, I tried to peg you down going through the website, but you really can't name any sort of ideology that the majority of your content comes from.
0: No, I mean, the only things that seem to run through all of our journalists is, for the most part, everybody is anti-state to some degree. And then that varies widely. Gun control, everybody seems to be pro-gun. We actually went out and tried to recruit anti-gun people and haven't found anybody that's willing to (laughs) come on there and face the wrath.
1: Well, if you believe the statistics that uh, some of these news outlets put out, you would believe that there's so many anti-gun people that it would be almost impossible not to find one. But I guess that's not the
0: case, huh? No, no, we really try. And then the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that's another one. We can't find anybody that is pro-Israeli, which that is not an arm of the Israeli government which that is the, like one of the only rules we have is we, we don't disseminate government information.
1: So what about your own personal political beliefs? I mean, I know you don't try to inject that into the fifth column at all, but I have to think at some level that it inspires the work you're doing, you know, to put truth out there and to really strive to give people a different perspective. So what element, I guess, of your own beliefs has motivated you to pursue this, to pursue the fifth column?
0: Well, you know, I've been all over the world one thing I realized is I never found a person I thought that, you know, we should be at war with. It was always somebody acting out the policy of the government. So I've never, I don't like using the word anarchist because it conjures up, you know, Molotov cocktails and throwing rocks at cops in the streets and stuff like that. But uh, that's pretty much where I fall. I think by and large, people just want to be left alone. I think that we could accomplish that. But takes a lot of uh, self-responsibility that not everybody's willing to exercise.
1: So would you say you're kind of a non-ideological sort of libertarian leaning-ish person then? I'm trying to be as open and vague as possible here, but it sounds that's like that's sort of where you come from.
0: Yeah. If I had to pick somebody in a political party, the Libertarian Party does come closest to what I believe. In fact, I mean, you know, Adrian Wiley is one of my favorite politicians, so.
1: And he is, for people that don't know, I I believe he is a libertarian that was uh, in Florida that ran for governor. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: That's absolutely correct.
1: Phew, because I would have felt really silly trying to pretend I'm an expert on these matters if I didn't know.
0: (laughs) That's him. He's the guy that, uh, to protest the Real ID Act, he turned in his driver's license and drove around for like two years without a driver's license trying to get arrested. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I like the way he operates. He's very, uh, I guess, flamboyant at times, but he also gets... So:
1: So what some people might be thinking, and there's a, a few ways that you might come at this from, you know, how'd you get inspired to entitle your project here your website, the fifth column?
0: Well, there are two reasons. One, you know, the old infiltration thing of basically there was a, a general approaching a town, and he said, you know, I have a column of por- approaching from the north, south, east and west, and I already have a fifth column inside the city that's going to open the gates for us, and we are the media's fifth column we're trying to basically open it up from the inside and then the other place it comes from is most daily newspapers have four columns on the front page the fifth column is the column that you don't read the column you don't get to see the news you don't get to hear
1: aha so this is it's a multifaceted meaning here yes Well, cool, man. Well, we're going to delve a little bit more into some of the stories that you guys have been covering over at the fifth column. But first, we're going to take a minute out to tell everyone a little bit more about our great sponsors over at Health Excellence Select. Because as someone who purchases my own health insurance, I had become extremely frustrated at my escalating premiums and deductibles after the implementation of Obamacare, and this forced me to seek an alternative. And I found that alternative in the concept of health sharing, where groups of like-minded individuals get together to voluntarily cover each other's medical costs. Health Excellence Select will help you take charge of your healthcare without having to deal with all the cost and hassle of handling paperwork and spending hours on the phone with bureaucrats just trying to get paid. They will handle all the dirty work for you while also providing tons of valuable tools to help you stay healthy. Listeners of this program can get the VIP treatment and get signed up directly by my great representative, Jeff Cantor. Give him a call at 440-283-6849. Tell him Mark from Lions of Liberty sent you. Until then, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health for more information. Just in general, what sort of news stories interest you the most? What's the kind of things that you don't think are being touched on out there nearly enough that you guys try to really put forward at the fifth column?
0: I think that our influence, the, by our, I mean the U.S. government's influence, in the stories you don't hear about, as far as you know what's going on in Central Africa, places like this, because they don't seem important today. But in five years, understanding what happened today is going to be really important because Central Africa will become the new Mideast very, very soon, and it's going to be constant conflict. We're going to be there all the time. And I think that people need to understand that hopefully before it happens.
1: And why do you believe that is? Is there um, just kind of – is that where a lot of resources that you see kind of different factions warring over in in that area? Is it really go back to a lot of the colonialism and imperialism we've seen even over the last century that a lot of the stuff ends up coming to a head decades and decades later? So what's the direction you come at that from?
0: Well, yeah, I see basically the Middle East is going to shape up – we're going to see a lot of redrawn borders. And once those borders are redrawn, everything's going to be pretty stable. It's going to be like Europe. Africa is still very much free-for-all. There's a lot of private corporations that employ gray and black contractors <laughs> to do a lot of dirty stuff In Central Africa. The U.S. military set up basically an African command recently to start flexing the U.S.'s muscles there. And even something is, you know, the one story out of Africa everybody remembers is, you know, bring our girls back. The girls in Nigeria that got kidnapped by the Boko Haram. Right. Well, the fact is, the Boko Haram took these kids up into, you know, the northeastern part of Nigeria. It's a place that has, like, six roads. We could have used satellite surveillance and given them the exact location of these people within, I don't know, three days. However... We chose not to because we wanted the Nigerian government to invite us in. I think that that's the information that people need.
1: Well, geez, Michelle Obama didn't mention that at all when she was posting her, uh, you know, hashtag bring our girls home stuff. There's nothing about a relationship with the Nigerian government in there. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's stuff like that. And, you know, the fact that the guy that tried to stage the coup was also the guy we trained. You know, there's a lot of that good. You know, Cold War style—you know, masters of the universe intelligence activity—that's still going on there. That uh, I think people need to know about, because unlike we see the Middle East as barbaric and, and genocidal, wait until we get down. It, it's going to be. I mean, there's a lot of scores to settle in, in on that continent.
1: <laughs> what do you mean by scores to settle? Can you can you delve into that a little bit deeper?
0: Well, it's more when uh, you know when we went down and drew up the borders as, as Europeans, we didn't really take into account the people that lived there. We used natural borders, you know, rivers and mountain ranges to decide where the lines were. And because of that, we put, you know, groups of several tribes or ethnicities into one country, and eventually one of them took over and subjugated the rest. Those that were subjugated want to get even. A good example of that happening is Rwanda. And I think we're going to see a lot of that when we finally really start pushing it on that.
1: I mean, you have all of these ancient tribes, many of which, you know, have different feuds with each other for various reasons, whether it's culture, religious, what have you, and then when you try to wedge them all into certain areas or perhaps in some instances divide them artificially based on you know basically arbitrary lines, wherever it was convenient to draw them, to slice things up, well, it seems to me at least logical that it's going to result in conflict. I guess the people doing this stuff either don't realize it or perhaps they even can foresee that conflict and they say, well, great, this is going to really help us. It's going to give us more reasons to be there because if there's conflict, well, you got to have peacekeepers, right? You got to have the United Nations. You got to have AFRICOM because without all that conflict going on, you, can't, you don't have as many excuses for the government and various agencies to be there.
0: Exactly. A lot of this could be resolved very easily. You know, the situation in Iraq, everybody knew when we went in in 2003 that that country was going to break up. Anybody that had any knowledge of the They were aware that eventually a Kurdistan would emerge, that the Sunnis and the Shias, that everything that happened was going to happen. However, when we went in, we signed contracts with the government in Baghdad, so we need to keep them in power as long as we possibly can. You know That's what's going on there. If you wanted peace in that region, one of the first things that would have to happen would be Iraq turning into three or four different countries. And we could do the same thing by recognizing a lot of these separatist groups in Africa and it would stabilize the country. But stability isn't profitable. So
1: Yeah, sure. If you've got a, a shining Mecca of a country and you know there's there's no issues there, it's very difficult for a president or someone to come on TV and say, Well, it's very necessary that we send our troops in there, but and everybody would say, Well, what do you what do you mean? There's nothing going on there. What's the problem? So yeah, I mean, without conflict, how do they justify, you know, anything that they might want to do for, I guess, Alternative reasons.
0: Right. And normally the way it operates is we go in to stabilize a country, bring democracy to it, whatever, you know, term you want to use. And the guy that we put in power, we basically, you know, negotiate with him, we'll get you in power, but we need Shell to get this contract. We need Halliburton to get this contract. We need, you know, when it gets to Africa, it's gonna be mineral companies or logging companies.
1: So most of these foreign operations that you're discussing here, they really sound like they're basically just giant crony capitalist missions. It's the U.S. government or or perhaps other governments acting in concert in order to pave the way for corporations who they may have uh, some sort of relationship with, uh, which uh, I guess is uh, an issue that we often hear candidates discussing. We hear Bernie Sanders always talking about breaking that connection between corporations and government. A lot of libertarians talk about that too. And yet that does seem to be, indeed be, at least when it comes to foreign policy, the main driving force.
0: Oh, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, we're interested in Nigeria and we're talking about a few thousand people getting killed. However, why? Because they're full of natural resources. You know, a thousand miles away, you have Sudan. It's, I don't know if you've read any of the reports, but oh my God, it's horrible.
1: It doesn't sound like a fun place to be right
0: now. Right. But they don't have anything. So whatever. Let them kill themselves.
1: That's why you've got, you know, actors and George Clooney out there begging the U.S. government to intervene in Sudan. And they're like, nah we're good. Oh, but hey, what's going on over here in Nigeria? Oh, we should probably look into that. And, and right. meanwhile, the actual threats, uh, you know, they may vary in, in legitimacy, but and I'm not advocating for intervention in Sudan either. But uh, there isn't really a consistency there on what countries the United States goes to target. There's no consistency in terms of human rights violations and that kind of thing, because if there was, obviously North Korea would have been invaded a long time ago if the main concern was human rights violations. But they don't have a whole lot to give us and a whole lot for us to take from them. So eh, we just kind of pay them. Off and and play a little dance with them.
0: Right. And if human rights violations were really that important, you know, we always hear about how horrible prisoners are treated anytime they want to sell a war. Well, then we need to invade Mississippi. You know, I mean, it is, there's a lot of double talk. And to me, I find it.
1: Justin, I'm wondering if you ever get accused of for saying just basic things like you're saying now, things that can be absolutely backed up by facts. I mean, some people might say the conjecture of the connection is too much. But, you know, if you literally see these companies going into these countries the second after the, the U.S. military gets done invading, I mean, at some point you have to just make a logical connection. But do you ever get accused of just being a conspiracy theorist or anything like that simply for pointing out these connections?
0: I think because I kind of made my bones as a skeptic on a lot of this stuff. I don't get that shot at me very often. When it comes to most conspiracy theories, you know, I go through and try to debunk them, and that's normally the way I approach it. You know, when I approached our connection to the Islamic State, I didn't go in trying to prove it. I went in trying to debunk it, and then I couldn't. And when you (laughs) when you approach something from that manner, you have okay, well, yeah, you know, not just uh, all the stuff that you know about with the accidental weapon drops and the Toyotas and all of that stuff. But did you know that we actually had Baghdadi in custody since 2006, and we let him go from different prison to prison and recruit? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, neither did I until I started looking into it, because this was one I honestly didn't believe. I thought it was one where maybe, maybe we you know just kind of turned a blind eye and let the Islamic State grow, because we knew it would create some red-on-red red fire, you know, bad guys shooting bad guys. But then when I started looking into it, yeah, Baghdadi was... In a US prison. He was there a very, very long time, but he was allowed to go between, you know, Abu Ghraib and a lot of the other prisons. He was allowed to go wherever he wanted. And then he got released. He built the core of the Islamic State while he was in US custody, while he was being shuttled around by US intelligence. And then the kicker is when you try to get dates for when he was in custody, DOD will not give them up.
1: What's their explanation for releasing this guy? Do they just say, oh, well, we didn't know he was going to go start ISIS. I mean, how how could we know?
0: They won't give an explanation for releasing him. They won't say why he was in custody. They won't give the dates he was in custody. We have to piece it all together through interviews from other prisoners and prison guards. But basically, yeah, I mean, we held them and shuttled them around and let them recruit. Um, DOD will not give an answer. And I've tried. CNN's tried. Fox News, everybody's tried to get this answer. The O.D. just won't respond.
1: Uh, because, I mean, when I even imply that the U.S. government may have intentionally, at least at a minimum, I even tried to, to do the, um, the sort of white bread version, I say, and they you know, allowed them to rise, if nothing else, but I mean, it sounds like your research is leading you to an even further conclusion, but even when I say something like that, I'll get eye rolls, I'll get, oh, come on, conspiracy theorist. and it's like, I'm not just making things up, I'm not theorizing, I'm pointing at actual facts that exist that I'm showing you, but you don't want to listen because you already have an idea that, you know, any idea like that must be a conspiracy theory, because it's too crazy to think that the U.S. government would actively try to create an organization like that, but your research seems to have a, uh, you do believe that it was more of a, an active role that the U.S. government played in the creation of ISIS then.
0: Yes, and then the final nail in the straw was basically there was a falling out between the administration and the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is the CIA's you know super-secret little brother. I'm not sure exactly what happened. The rumor mill is that about 50 of their guys got killed on the Iraqi-Syrian border, and that the Obama administration denied resources for it or something like that. That's a rumor. The fact is, immediately after this incident, occurred or didn't occur, the chief of the DIA walks out. They've released files showing that we actively supported the Salafists. Now, that's the Islamic State for everybody out there that isn't really keeping up. In Syria, that we armed them, that we funded them. So it's not even a conspiracy theory. A U.S. intelligence agency has released documents stating that we've supported them. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's funny because even When we have, quote unquote, conspiracy facts, like I would describe that as, I mean, there is people conspiring. We have the facts, so it's a fact now. But I think there seems to be some sort of cognitive dissonance with a lot of people. When they get to a certain threshold of something that they just can't fathom being true, they just won't believe it. Even if you give them all the evidence and that you could possibly gather, it just won't be believed because that can never happen. And so they just refuse to believe it. So do you ever encounter anything like that?
0: All the time. All the time. And the best thing to do is to go to Historical example. We have all of the evidence, and it's 50 years removed. So, you know, you you can pinpoint it. My favorite one, because it's a story everybody knows Martin Luther King got the Civil Rights Act passed. That's what's in every history book. It's false. We have the recordings of John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy, and they're talking. And the reason they sent up the Civil Rights Act was because there were a bunch of guys in Montgomery killing cops. That's the reason it happened. There's no debating it. We have the recordings. This is why they submitted. It had nothing to do with a charismatic
1: region. But you don't want to say that because it definitely sounds a lot better if this nice, you know, peaceful protester is is the reason for change as opposed to the fact that people were out there killing cops. No one really wants to report that as, as history.
0: Right. The government you live under is never going to give you the tools to free yourself from them. So.
1: Well, Justin, I really appreciate your perspective on everything. And I really appreciate, in general, the overall tone that you get from the fifth column, because it really is a refreshing news source. And, and, you know, you get a lot of blogs out there that bring, you know, fresh aspects to the news and fresh commentary, but you actually are able to do something similar, but really you present it in a very professional way and come across as you are, as far as I'm concerned, as a very legitimate news outlet. So I think you've done really a fantastic work here. I know you're in the the process of attempting to expand your operation, and uh, I think you're just tailing down the end of a fundraiser uh, to do so. So why don't you just describe what that fundraiser is and what you're trying to do um, and how you're trying to grow what you're doing at The Fifth Column.
0: When we started, you know, we had a five-year months into it, and we reached the point where we realized we could go ahead and, act and enact some of that stuff for year four and year five. Um, that's a publishing arm which has already been fully funded. It's a twenty-four hour, seven-day-a-week radio station which is almost funded, and it's a uh, internet TV station along with some other minor projects. Yeah, we are funding that. If you want to check it out, it's hashtag Fund the Fifth. Fifth is spelled out. From that, I mean, we want to be able to compete with Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, BBC, but we want to be able to do it in in, in the guerrilla manner that has made us as successful as we've been, as as quickly as we have expanded. Uh, We want to continue. that, So we we want to stay decentralized. This fundraiser will let us do it. Um, You know, we're not in, you know, normally there's that plea during a fundraiser. You know, if you don't give us money, we'll be shut down. No. As far as the website, the fifth column, you know, it's funded for like the next three years. We're we're good to go. But this is to expand and to take it to another level.
1: And what is that other level? Are you going to expand into, you know, TV production, radio, all that kind of thing?
0: Yes. Yes. We're going to have a 24-hour day, day seven-day-a-week radio station broadcasting. And we're going to have an internet TV station eventually that's going to start as a YouTube channel. But it's going to evolve um, as time goes on. But basically, you're going to have the, the news desk that you're familiar with on every mainstream network. Only instead of, you know, reciting the government press releases, we're going to be giving you actual news. And, you know, there will probably be talk, you know, like little talk show type things. And we're going to do some documentaries as well.
1: Well, Justin, that's fantastic. I mean, some people might say, ah, this guy talking about competing with Fox News and all these guys, that's ridiculous. But uh, that really is the trend. I mean, the trend is going away from the mainstream, away from these dinosaur networks that are just being have been streamed into everyone's house for so many years. People are cutting the cord. People are looking for on demand, uh, whether it's entertainment, news, what have you. I mean, people are everything is becoming niched to the point that people don't need to rely on whatever three networks are happen to be coming into their home. People can actually seek out the best news sources, the places with the best commentary, and it truly seems like that is exactly what you're doing over at The Fifth Column, so I think it's fantastic that you're not just doing what you've been doing, but also expanding your reach, because the more that you can do, and the more various mediums you can reach out to, I mean, the more this thing is just going to keep rolling, because, I mean, there's definitely a thirst out there, I think we can all feel it, a thirst for truth, a thirst for honesty and integrity in our media, and for the most part, we haven't gotten it for the last 40 or 50 years, and thankfully now there are people like you out there that are attempting to do just that, so, Justin, before I let you go i'll let you give one more run around of how people can find your work obviously they can go to the fifth column.com and how they can get involved with your fundraiser and further support what you can do and, and how they can contact you
0: okay we're at uh, the fifth and that's all spelled out we you know we're on facebook twitter all the social media networks that everybody's on we're on all of them in most cases it's fifth column news or the fifth column news is the uh, username uh, if you want to find me I have a Facebook page, which is Justin King News, um, or you know, you just find my personal profile. Everybody does anyway. Or on Twitter, uh, pretty easy to get a hold of. I may take a little while to respond, but I always do respond eventually.
1: And I can attest to that because you responded to me, so it's all true. <laughs> there we go, Justin King. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Lines of Liberty podcast. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring, man.
0: Thank you, and you guys, you know, keep doing what you're doing.
1: We certainly shall.
0: All right, folks,
1: I hope you enjoyed my interview there with the great Justin King from the fifthcolumnnews.com. Guys, when I have somebody like Justin King on the show, you know, it's not just to fill an episode, although, of course, that is a motivation. I do need to have people on here to fill an episode, or else you're just gonna hear me talking every single day. And I don't know, maybe that'll be fun. Maybe we'll do that down the road. But for now, I like to keep this conversational. I like to have great conversations. And I knew Justin King was somebody that I could have a great one with. But really, what I wanna do is highlight other people out there, that are doing some version of what I'm trying to do here. Now, what myself and Justin King are doing are, are very different in many ways. I mean, I'm here specifically trying to sort of advance a ideology to advance the ideas of liberty. I want to teach people about the philosophy of liberty, look into how it applies in the real world, and all this fun stuff. And that's certainly one side of things. To me, that's the most important side of things. That's why that's what I focus on. But there's also another problem out there with the information we receive and how it's filtered to us, uh, largely by the mainstream media. What really we should call the dinosaur media because these companies are dying. Fox News, the CNNs, the MSNBCs of the world, these guys are seeing their ratings drop because people are cutting the cord, people are going to the internet, people have just apps on their Roku or their Apple TV or whatever, and they're finding their news specifically from sources that they trust. They're not just accepting whatever gets pumped into their house through their TV. The world is rapidly changing. We are living in an amazing time where someone with the right motivation and you know their wits about them can start their own successful online news and commentary organization as Justin King has at the Fifth Column News and he really is doing Brown breaking stuff over there. So I, I really do highly recommend checking it out. And they are a serious news outlet. They get about half the traffic that Glenn Greenwald's Intercept gets. So that's pretty darn good, considering he's only started this you know in the last year, year and a half. So I do highly support you at least checking out the fifthcolumnnews.com or maybe considering helping Justin King fund the fifth and expand their operation even further. Because without organizations like that, I don't know where to go to find my own news. So that's why I tried to send you guys to the places that I use to inform myself. That's why I sent you to Jen Briney over at the Congressional Dish, who does an amazing job keeping an eye on Congress. These are people who all deserve your support because I need these guys out there to inform me so I can be better informed when I come to you. <laughs> See how this works? You can, of course, also support us by shopping at our Amazon link, lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon, or by using any of our sponsors, libertymaniacs.com, get a 10% discount by using the code lionsofliberty. Of of course, learn more about the great folks over at Health Excellence Select by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. And come join the conversation with us. Find us over on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. And if you really want to get in depth with us, join the conversation, communicate with myself, many of my other Lions of Liberty cohorts, several of my past guests even, then come on over to the Lions of Liberty Forum. That's our private Facebook group. You can just type Lions of Liberty Forum into your Facebook search bar and you should get right over there. Or as always, head over to the show notes for this episode over at lionsofliberty.com 178. Later in the week, this coming Wednesday, we're going to have the return, finally, the long-awaited return, the first edition of the new year of our look at still presidential candidate, Rand Paul. That's right. I will have our resident Rand expert, Brian McWilliams, back here for another edition of Rand, Paulus's, and Minuses. Until then... Live long and live free.